This episode is sponsored by Bigger City. Thank you so much for supporting us and helping our show to grow. Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser, and today I am your Valentine's Cupid boy. I am dressed in red and ready to Cupid. Uh, <laughs> He's got his arrows. I've got poised. arrows. I've got a quiver. Um, I've got a diaper. I am ready. <laughs> Tipped in Valentine's venom. Yes. <laughs> ready, ready to fire. <laughs> I need you to pitch up your uh, your la- devil laugh into the elf voice. Oh. <laughs> oh, I am definitely editing that up three octaves. <laughs> Valentine's, Valentine's Day is here. <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizon. I'm a super chub and I am... Uh, I'm in the little sidecar of Cupid's cloud bike and I've got my goggles and my, um, my little Cupid grenades that are going to, uh, fill your, your, uh, little cloud of musk and make you feel all sexy. Ooh, (laughs) fancy. My name is Michael Willer. I am a chubby chaser and I am your, I'm your frisky Valentine's boy. Uh, this is the first time we've done one of these episodes where it's actually coming out on Valentine's Day. Imagine that. Ooh. So I am I am super excited, as you can imagine. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> the innuendos are coming hard and fast. Hey there, listener. My name's Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood. And today I'm here ready to talk about love. Are you ready to talk about love, listener? Because I'm ready to talk about love with you. <laughs> and on that note, and, and <laughs> happy Valentine's Day to our sponsors, our affiliates, our patrons, Yay. to you, listener. We love you all very much. You make us <laughs> able to love. Uh, We're so happy that you can rejoin us for our traditional uh, Valentine's Day episode where we are taking your letters about sex, relationships, uh, and all things under Cupid's domain for us to talk about. Yeah. It's an all mailbag review. <laughs> well, shall we slide on into this bubble bath of an episode? I'm <laughs> so some... excited to hear people's questions this year. Yeah, we've got, we've got some, good some ones. champagne. They're good. They're real some good. Chocolate covered strawberries. And uh, I got one of those oversized um, <laughs> heart shaped box of chocolate. And I'm going to pull out our first question um all right let's go i'm I'm reaching around i've got one let's see from our listener hi guys i recently went through a really hard breakup and i was wondering how you guys deal with the sense of loss or if maybe you could share some experience i've been trying to analyze what happened in a positive way but it's been very difficult i find myself constantly wanting to reach out and rehash things that have already been discussed and it's hard to go through the day without thinking about them any insight would be helpful. Thank you. Smiley face. Yes, this is, uh, this is very, this hits very close to home. I can say that much. Mm. Um, as somebody who I've been through two, two pretty big breakups. And I, I will say from my own experience, that desire to reach out and rehash, which I'm assuming based on the way this is phrased, that the, the writer understands that's maybe not the best thing to be doing. I hope because from my perspective, I think 
Sometimes the breakup just needs time to breathe before you go back and talk Mm -hmm. about things. Cause like if you're still in basically the same space and mindset and an emotional state as you were before you broke up, uh, you're not going to have anything new to bring to that conversation except more of what it was that happened when you broke up. Yeah. It's almost Um, like keeping trauma alive. Yeah. Right. Uh, so just right off the bat, that would be my advice. Uh, again, having done that myself, uh, started with doing that myself in the first breakup and then choosing not to do that in the second (laughs) one and feeling much better about the second one. Uh, I would, I would recommend just, you know, I wouldn't say that it's easy. Um, especially if you're really invested in like keeping a friendship on the other side of that. Um, but yeah, maybe try and just give each of you the space and the time to kind of develop your own lives outside of the relationship. I'm going to be honest. I got to say, you got to talk with your friends, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You got, I, I think I, like Michael's being, I think what, uh, to clarify something Michael's saying, I think Michael's saying, don't talk about it with the person you're breaking up with. With, the, with yeah. With yeah. The, right. uh, yeah. the other person in your relationship. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's not going to work. You know, you've already talked in, in theory, you've already talked about this stuff and it didn't work. Right. Or they don't want to talk about it and that's yeah. not going to change. But yeah, here's right. the thing about talking about it with friends. You need to, sort of be aware of your own emotions, right? If you're talking to the same friend twice and you're saying the same things and you're in the same place, you know, a week apart, you're not healing and those conversations are not being helpful and you're going to drive the friend away because you're driving them crazy. <laughs> you know, um, you need to kind of keep keep uh, awareness of your own emotions and make sure that the talking you're doing is healing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm one of those people, like when I when I talk about something that's making me angry or i'm not just complaining i am throwing it out of myself right um that's how i get past this stuff if that's not how you heal then you're actually just going to sort of agitate your other relationships you need to pay attention to how you're feeling after those conversations and make sure you're having healthy ones yeah Mm -hmm. for my part i think i think the conversations uh, idea is great uh, I also think that sometimes that to prevent it from going into this sort of broken record routine, mm-hmm. which, you know, hopefully you bore yourself before you start boring your friends with it. Cause that's God, optimal. Yeah. Cause yeah. sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, there is, there is an exercise where you tell your story over and over again to the point where you bore yourself and you're tired of telling <laughs> it. Um, but sometimes that takes a long time. Uh, yeah. your, your, your friends tap out sooner. So something else you can do is to focus the conversation is you might turn it into, you know, what will you miss? And then what will you not miss? So like what worked, what didn't work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I promise you the relationship broke up for an excellent reason. Yeah. It really, really did. And even if that reason is they're just like, they couldn't accept the love you had, that's fine. That's then you don't want to be in that relationship. Usually in a breakup like this, there is, there's a reason and a good reason, a valuable, like profitable reason that this ended. Um, and I've been where you are. Oh my God. I mean, I had a breakup with a guy and he was just like, this isn't working. And, and by the way, you need to be out in four weeks. Cause I think that's, that would be best for both our mental health. Like it hadn't occurred to me to leave. Right. Cause we were living together and hadn't occurred to me to leave. Like, but of course, like, duh, if you break up, you, you should probably leave. <laughs> I mean, provide, provided you can, mm-hmm. you know, I realize there's some yeah. economic situations where that's yeah. just not viable for you know whatever, but in our case it was. And he's like, uh, four weeks, four weeks, got to find another place to live. 
And I did. And at the time, I was like, oh my God, so harsh. And then the other breath was like, yeah, Dan, that makes perfect sense. And I was forlorn. I was absolutely on the floor. Every time I looked at something, I would start crying because it reminded me. And I just had to go through that. It's like every song and oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And it's when I started to realize maybe I might be codependent. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, and here, here's the other thing. You know, this was with uh, a hot, thin guy who I thought was my everything. And it was kind of before I realized, you know, <laughs> who and what I was sexually. And he said something that was really, really important. He said, because I, I was moaning and crying and weeping, like, we don't have a relationship anymore. We're not even having a relationship. And I'm, he's like, no, 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 Dan. It's not that we don't have a relationship anymore. We just have a different relationship. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, that turned the whole thing around for me because, you know, I think in some ways it's easier when someone dies because it's so final. But when someone is just not your lover anymore, they're still in the world. They still interact yeah. with you to the extent that they do. They still have an impact. It's, it's, it's much messier, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, we just have a different relationship. Now, that was because we could be friends. And the other thing that helped me, and this may not be true in this particular writer's case, the other thing that helped me is like, he was a hot thin guy, which means the sex for both of us was terrible. I just didn't know the difference. <laughs> so the fact that we could be friends and give up the sexual component was kind of optimal for me. I just didn't really know it yet. And then you could ask it the other way around. Well, like, well, if the sex is actually the best part of your relationship, what does that say about your relationship? Maybe you, should, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe you don't need to be married. Maybe you just need to, you know, fuck a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, there's, there's ways through this of rather than getting trapped in a particular encapsulation of the relationship, which was he was my everything and now it's gone, which mm-hmm. is never true, but you can feel like that. Um, there, you know, you might want to see it with greater dimension, with greater perspicacity. I think that last part's kind of really important about, cause I think, you know, the, the, uh, this listener wrote in about the sense of loss and, you know, nothing is forever, but that doesn't mean that it's not beautiful and that you can't cherish it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to not focus on what you lost, but what you had, and how you grew and the the impact it had on you and that what you can, you know, what you can take from that moving forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. And I want like focusing on the, cause I think dealing with the sense of loss might be, is the first thing that the, the listener wrote. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, I'm just it for me, I'm picking out a couple of things that feel very similar to how I approach stuff, like trying to analyze or wanting to rehash things dealing with the sense of, you know, loss that is hard to get rid of. And I, I think that, you know, saying don't focus on it is one thing, but for people like me, you can't not focus on it. Like Mm -hmm. it just runs your brain unless you figure out ways to channel your energy. And I think that, um, the way that I was able to do that in at least one and a half cases was, um, focus on hobbies uh, focus on things that you can actually go do or do at home that will channel your mental energy that might physically, you know, tire you out. Just literally just exercise yourself so that all of the mental energy, that sort of frenetic analysis and wanting to kind of 
go do things and like spinning inside your own head can get out of yourself. Kind of like what Don was saying, like you can talk with your friends. That's one outlet. Figure out like other ways to just get the energy out of you so that you're not just sitting at it and stewing at it all the time. Mm -hmm. If maybe start one new thing, because you want to, you want to, you want to create a life from this point forward rather than this point backwards. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, to dovetail with what Michael's saying, I want to give some, some separate advice for the friends that are listening. Right? <laughs> the third time you're listening to the person tell you the same story that they're hyper-focusing on, right? Um, they're not healing, right? They're, they're stuck, right? I still think one of the most helpful things a friend can do is play with the rabbit ears and try and improve that reception a little bit. Um, <laughs> It's like, what is you he talking can, about? Rabbit ears? Antennas. Antenna. He's antenna. talking yeah. about old school antennas, yeah. which I feel like half our audience is not going to yeah. <laughs> I get what you're Smacking the TV. <laughs> Smack the TV. Smack the right. TV. Yeah. Uh, because it's stuck on one channel, right? Mm-hmm. And as long as they're stuck on one channel, they can't change the perspective because they literally can't see the other mm-hmm. parts, right? Mm-hmm. You can't see it for them, but you can help steer the conversation a little bit so they're not repeating the same grooved path they've been walking on over and over. And if this is the third or fourth time you've heard it, this is the 50th time they've heard it in their own head. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's really that hard to get out of that channel. Sometimes. And I, and I would say, Don, it's causing damage because yeah, it is iron, it's really like ironing so. a crease. It's like ironing and ironing a crease into mm-hmm. denim. It's just getting harder and deeper. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. always a problem after a breakup. A lot of people self-isolate, right? Mm-hmm. And then, that's that's the perfect time for them to wear that groove uh, that's so hard to get out of, you know? Yeah. And as the, as the friend listening, uh, I, I would, I mean, I suppose every situation is different, but in general, I would caution against reinforcing what the, you know, the breakup E is talking about mm-hmm. as opposed to just like, you can listen, you can be supportive of their emotional state, but I would be cautious about saying like, yeah, like, fuck your ex. Like they suck. Like, like yeah, that's not maybe helpful. adding fuel yeah. to the fire in that sense. Like I would not, I wouldn't add to that. Like let your friend, you know, express themselves vent if they have to. Um, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't reinforce those, those mindsets because they shouldn't be permanent. And like, if, if we start to make them permanent, that's going to just last into the next relationship and it's, mm-hmm. it's never going to get better. Okay. Well, we started off with yeah. a, with a pretty, pretty intense yeah. one. Who, uh, uh, Don, why don't you pick a, a, a light and frothy one? Um, I'm going to look for a nice one here. Here we go. Hi, darlings. Hello, darling. I, I, Hello. I, this is a very friendly listener. I like this. Hi, darlings. Looking for tips on sex with a partner who has anorgasmia, uh, which is difficulty achieving an orgasm or climaxing. I have so um, much to say here. <laughs> this is apparently, and just as an aside, like this is apparently quite a common issue for not just men, but for everyone at some point in their life. So this is a good one to pay attention to, not just you know, not just for chubs and chasers, for everybody. Yeah. I, so the thing about this is, it, the diagnosis is basically the symptom, and that's that can be a date. Like it's like diagnosing someone with a stuffy nose. It's like yes, and what is that? So there can be a lot of reasons that someone is having difficulty achieving orgasm. Is it temporary? Is it permanent? Is it a lifelong thing? Have they ever ejaculated? Have they ever had an orgasm? Is it been like off and on? There's, there's lots to probe here, not in the sense of trying to fix it, but trying to understand it. But 
where the where the writer, you know, our listener is really coming from is this is the situation now. What do I do? Yeah. I, I think where it is is you it's the same in any disjunct sexual relationship. You you need to find the points of overlap, like what's working, what works for both of you. Uh, I'm not a big fan of compromise. Like I did this for you. You should do this for me. I, I'm not mm-hmm. a big fan of that. Um, but just like, where do you overlap? And then the points where you don't overlap, what are the ways to handle that, uh, sort of, as I, as I'd say off the court, uh, sometimes that can be in erotica. Sometimes that can be in writing in art. Um, Hmm. not that those are necessarily different, but for either partner, and this goes like with people who have different kinks, this goes with someone who kink in a normie. This can go with someone who is highly interested in sex and someone who's not so interested in sex. You know, y- you do what you can together and you kind of map those out. And it's kind of fun because guess what? It has to be enjoyable for both of you, right? And then you can look at, well, all right, so this isn't fulfilled in me and what am I going to do about that? And how can my partner help me do something, you know, just for me. And sometimes that involves non-monogamy, sometimes it doesn't. But the point is that that if somebody begins to feel hemmed in or not satisfied, that has to be addressed. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking was, you know, how uh, in in quotes, how much of a of a problem is it? Because yeah. you know, the orgasm really is just a single component of a sexual experience. Yeah. Um not to say that I I've think it's a fair assumption to say that most people look at it as kind of like the ultimate goal, but mm-hmm. not everybody. Well, not especially, long stretch. In, especially in normie sex, normie sex is usually about sucking and fucking and success equals orgasm. Right. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of people, I think there's this kind of ties into this weird, like equality balance thing of like, you know, if we don't both climax then somehow it wasn't successful as a mm-hmm. sexual experience which is not the case or even um, raise the bar if we don't come at the same time at the same time exactly like that's <laughs> yeah. that's even more how than hard like, do you want to make this oh my people? god how much pressure is that <laughs> jesus yeah you have to um, start so, a movie and then try to climax when Thanos snaps when he snaps yeah yeah no when iron man snaps that's the yes <laughs> um yeah i think like my advice would be if you know, maybe find a way to kind of do a more like smooth jazz, um, like mm. what is pleasurable for your partner that isn't necessarily like a big explosion. Is it a, you know, maybe there's, it's a more finding, you know, their erogenous zones um, and just kind of a long, more extended pleasurable sequence as opposed to the like bing, bang, boom, yeah, trumpet blast. Um yeah. Or if there's like something with bondage or S and M or just something that is more of a a longer experience, um, that is pleasurable, pleasurable, uh, maybe without the you know explosion. I, I yeah, and t- I just I'm realizing tacking onto that, just talk, you know, mm-hmm. like because that can be helpful just as far as ass- assessing to what degree there is any dissatisfaction. Like if your partner mm-hmm. has difficulty or- having an orgasm, but otherwise loves what you guys do in bed, there may not be a problem here. Yeah. Um, Again, this, and this stacks into everything everyone else is saying. I think part of it is also is during the lovemaking, even if, even if you're having conversations about deprioritizing the orgasm, right? Uh, try not to accidentally emphasize the orgasm as being the end of your lovemaking session. Right. Because then that's still signaling that that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're having 
sex and then someone comes, continue the pleasure, right? Make it clear that that's not it. That's not the off ramp, right? And that's good. That may help remove some of the pressure about, I have to get to the end. I have to get to the yeah. finish. And if you know? orgasm really is the beat all and end all for you, that's great. Just yeah. move it. Move it to the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything comes to an end. Meals come to an end. Outings mm-hmm. come to an end. And sex can come to an end. So just don't don't make it the goal. Make it the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about like actual, so like the, the person's looking for tips, like things to do that aren't orgasm centric. I mean, uh, there's oh, right. so many things. things. Yeah, yeah, the like, obvious <laughs> one that comes right to the, the front for me is massage, right? I was going to say that. I mean, that's not inherently sexual, but it can be unbelievably erotic yeah, depending be- on how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you on the other side of the fence, personally, I hate massage. Don't like giving it. Don't like getting <laughs> mm-hmm. it. Um, that is not hot to me. That is an exercise in patience. And, <laughs> um, but I realize that I'm in the minority on this very much. So, so that's fine. Uh, I'm just saying that if, if it ain't massage for you, I understand, uh, yeah. other things touch, you need to, uh, you know, and to underscore. Mm-hmm. And if it's not massage for you, make that clear. Like yeah. Dan is doing now, like, mm-hmm. don't, don't say, yeah, let's do that. And let's try know it. It's not going to be good for you. Yeah. You know? Or like, it's never worked in the past, but maybe this time will be different. No, it's not going to be different. Um, and then you just get into that hang up. They think they did it wrong. And you're like, no, mm-hmm. it's all right. No one's ever done it right. So, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, but my point was that, you know, the other, other avenues to pursue, um, especially if you are in bed with a fat guy, there are so many usually neglected and unexplored parts of the body, parts of the skin that fall off the radar when you're engaged in normie sex. Because again, normie sex is usually the drive for sucking and fucking. And there are so many other places of pleasure, so many other erogenous zones. And if you're wondering, what, what, what are they? I'm sorry, that's left for an exercise to the listener. Yeah. Go find them. Yes. <laughs> I promise you they're there. I promise the you they're The real erogenous there. zone was the, <laughs> the friendships the, we made along the way. No, I'll be honest, it's time. very clear to me when I'm with somebody new who isn't trying to find any, like, they're not exploring. Yeah. It's It sends me a signal as who you are. As yeah, a it's lover. like, oh, there's your you dick, know? there's your anus, here we go. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, no, that's... And I'm not saying that the person writing in is that limited. That's certainly not the case. But there are so many other ways that, I mean, think of it this way. Let's say you were in bed with a person who orgasmed perfectly, the perfectly normatively, the way everybody else did. That does, you know, that doesn't mean that sex can't go on for hours and it's not because you're constantly coming. So there obviously must be something else to do. Also, I'm just going to jump on the other side of that particular statement and say it does not have to go on for hours to be enjoyable. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I'm just just really slow. Sorry. (laughs) Don, you saying like the person who is not looking for the erogenous zones made me think of like, what does it look like when they are? And the first thing that popped into my head was Captain Toad. (laughs) Just like he's ready to go find all the, the folds. The nooks, the <laughs> grannies, the little soft spots that are the most pleasurable. Is that the a Pokemon Nintendo, The Nintendo no, listeners of this show are, are yeah. dying in life. Everyone else is just, I'm sorry, what? He's I'm, Toad I'm, from Mario Brothers. There's a game, he had a spinoff <laughs> game where he was an explorer and he got into all these little places. And he's got a big old smile and he looks really mm-hmm. excited to go exploring. That's what he's doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I did want to put one thing in there about, about exploring and touch. In many cases, it's not the region you're exploring as much as the technique of touching. 
Um, yes. Everybody mm-hmm. knows there's mm-hmm. ways they like to be touched and ways they don't like to be touched. There's ways of touching that seem almost impersonal, even though you're both naked, and ways of touching that are like send you to another planet. Yeah. And in many times, that's not necessarily focused on the particular patch of skin, although sometimes it may be. There are certain parts of the skin that are more sensitive than others. But, you know, there are certain kinds of touch that I like, certain kinds of touch I don't like. That's something else to kind of play with is the, <laughs> this is going to sound really technical, but if you've ever studied dance, there is a system of, of analyzing dance called Le Bon, uh, and named after the person who invented it. But it's a way of categorizing movement as light and heavy, as quick and slow, as it's, it's a way of looking at uh, what, how, how to categorize movement, or in this case, how to categorize touch. Hmm. So it's a way of, it's just a tool for exploring. It's not a prescription, obviously. Yeah. I think a really good, easy to to grasp example of that is uh, nipples, which run the gamut of like, Mm -hmm. there's either zero sensitivity, doesn't do anything for me, or mildly sensitive, go crazy with it because I need all the more, you know, intensity. Mm -hmm. Or they're hyper, hyper sensitive. Please be very, very careful with these. They're not. You know, they're not they're yeah. for display only. This maybe. is not a toy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A suggestion on nipple work. Start gentle and work your way up. Yeah. Don't yeah. start yeah. at the top intensity thinking oh, you can start I, back. You know, it's I not have enough. made that mistake before. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, it was, I learned very quickly in that case. No, yeah. I have I think probably the first time someone re- like when I was in college and I went out with a guy and he really work my nipples i think i have permanent nipple damage mm. from oh my that. god because it oh. was just like i my nipples were sore for weeks yeah. afterwards Ooh. and i'd like to point out at this juncture mm. that the moaning and screaming that you did in that particular session for the person doing it was probably the joy was indistinguishable from the agony so it mm-hmm. behooves <laughs> you to check in like is this oh going well is this not going I, well i can't I'm tell <laughs> I I just had like the flash of just like all the we were in his car <laughs> at a train station and oh there was boy, a point what? like we had slushies and he was like <laughs> using slush to chill my nipples. Oh my god! Oh, oh my boy. god! Oh boy! Was just a, Wait, was that after the fact, like as as first aid, or was that part of it? As part of as part of it. <laughs> Because so it's desensitizing them by numbing them with the ice cold and then uh, trying to break through that desensitization uh, with intensity. Bad idea. I, I, yeah. That's that, something I feel like a lot person, of chubby guys could have long conversations with women about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, it's true. If the person is like wriggling or pulling away, even if they don't completely pull away probably a cue for you to like slow down and reassess what's happening or at least check in like is that tickling or is that yeah. uncomfortable you know if i slap yeah. the top of your head you've gone too hard <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you have to slap it a lot don to find the off switch you know yeah <laughs> it's like an alarm if, clock that won't stop if my um, nipples in your mouth and i'm you know 10 feet away it's <laughs> It's too much. I'm curious if this is a tactic. This I have been with at least two, maybe three chasers that I think were uh, basically like submissives. I think they wanted to be told but couldn't admit it. So what they ended up doing was they would go for my nipples super hard. And when I told them, hey, stop, you know, then all of a sudden they go super. Yes, sir. Oh, wow. Oh, and then like wow. that was the way they got me to order them the first time. And then huh. they would go like 
just like crumb like crumble down to that point. It was don't, really interesting. Don't go to the the naughty puppy school of <laughs> unscrupulous <laughs> butt affection. Yeah. It was interesting. I wasn't I wasn't sure how I felt about that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, well Dan, how would would you like to pick our our next one? Uh yes, yes I would. <laughs> uh I I I want to read this one because it's it's so close to my own experience. Uh, I think I know what this is. You know what this one is, Trevor. <laughs> so, uh, our listener writes, in 2013, my guy proposed to me on Valentine's Day. All I got him was Reese's Cups and a card. Oh, no. Oh, and, boy. And I... I, I feel for this person because I'm the guy with the Reese's cups and a card. <laughs> and Trevor's like, I rented Greece for us. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I don't mean the movie. I mean the country. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the material. Okay. So I was- no, 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 no. We're going to Greece. Uh, uh-huh. and, uh, and here we go. No. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think cause Trevor, I am unfortunately, unfortunately married to the best gift giver in the world. And I always lose. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very I'm, familiar with this sort of uh, asymmetrical <laughs> relationship in terms of gifting and regard. I feel like it's fairly normal for there to be couples like this where it's, there's like, not inequity, but the like different asymmetricality. Of, that's what I call Yes. It. Asymmetricality of the, the gift giving or like the way they think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever hit that point, but I, I, I that. I can only imagine the level of like guilt that oh, it's might awful. come along it's awful. With, with like having like behind your back, you have your like secret surprise Reese's cups and the <laughs> person's like, I've loved you ever since the day we met. And I, I want to spend the rest of my life with uh-huh. you. He's like, uh-huh. Wait, maybe I could go first so that I don't have to follow what you're bringing to the table. <laughs> no, I mean, Trevor and I just went through this, I think yesterday because Trevor said like, know. you know, it's Valentine's day on Wednesday. Are we doing anything? And my first thought was, I, oh my God, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I I will say I brought that up because I'm like, he is very in his dental stuff and he doesn't realize it's Valentine's Day. And I don't want it to be this thing of like, oh my God, it's Valentine's Day. Oh no. Like As that if that is, would matter. <laughs> I well, and um, listener, I think the best gift you can give to your partner on the Valentine's Day where they propose. Uh oh, here's my instructions. To make them no, to make them look good. <laughs> yeah. Because hmm. I think if it's like if you had done some other yeah. grand gesture that maybe was bigger than whatever proposal they did, like it's a proposal, but if you had been like, I got us a horse-drawn carriage and I bought out our favorite restaurant and all this stuff, and the person's like, Well, I'm gonna piggyback on your thing by proposing. Ooh, <laughs> I I just want to. I, I think a good way to maybe wrap up Dan's particular sentiment, which I, <laughs> I definitely identify with, is that I mean it's the classic love languages thing, right? Like yes, people yes, express yes. their love in a variety of different ways, and as as an, also a person myself who is gift giving is not my love language, mm-hmm. like service, like uh i can't remember how it's phrased but like doing things for the other person absolutely gift giving never been it and so i do i have to fight through like a very lifelong sort of traumatic guilt response when i get gifts which is why i don't give them very often Mm -hmm. which just makes it worse (laughs) which just makes it worse of course um and so i i would just say like okay yes they they sort of 
maybe they won up to you on Valentine's Day accidentally. Um, but I'm sure, especially if you guys are like, you're getting married, like everything else is good. Like, I'm sure you have other ways of expressing your love that don't necessarily lend themselves easily to a Valentine's Day, you know, gift or interaction. But it's there. It's there. And I'm sure your partner realizes it also because they propose to you. Yes. They, you know? mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that this listener was necessarily expressing that they feel bad so much as it was just kind of funny. Yeah. But if by the off chance you were feeling bad about that, don't. I'm sure you guys have a great relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they want to marry you, they know you're the Reese's Cups and Card kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They know this already. <laughs> um, that's awesome. <laughs> that's totally me. I get that. Uh, Trevor. You want to want to pick one so of your own? This is one of the first ones we got, and I feel like mm. I I have a lot to say. I have a lot of theories. I actually wanted to get some data. I wanted to run some tests, drop oh some chips in wind tunnels. The, 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 the question is why aren't more chubs tops ah uh, yes uh, i actually i meant to reach out to bigger city to see if they had any statistics about like the percentage of chubs that identify mm, as tops oh, on the website very interesting interesting yeah so i my my ex actually the one i just talked about the one that <laughs> who broke up with me uh his point of view actually um as being a very active normie as far as sex is concerned uh his conclusion was you know what the reason most chubs and he didn't say this but the the reason most chubs are not tops is because most men are not tops if you think about it haven't you heard over and over again the lament that where are the tops where are the tops and not among chubs but like among the general population Mm -hmm. uh this is a common refrain i i want to take that a step further and say that the 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 people slash guys who are identifying as like pure top mm. are perhaps a bit <laughs> closed off to a yeah. def- another part of their sexuality that they're afraid mm-hmm. to to dive into um, and perhaps are not pure tops or, you know, and who knows if they'll ever get there. I, I just know I, I don't know why most chubs, if this is even true if most chubs say, you know, versatile or bottom or side or whatever. I, I will say like more of the verse guys I've been with have been more enthusiastic and talented, you know, mm. like on in, both sides in, of the occasion. Equa- in both equation. sides. Okay. Because they you know? probably have experimented a bit more and have yeah. tried both sides and they're, and so I will say from my own personal experience, it's, I appreciate having done both because it, it means that I, yes. at least from my own point of view, I know what, feels good in general terms on both sides and i can kind of you know drive in those directions rather than just sort of like if you've only ever topped you don't actually know how it feels like Mm -hmm. maybe you can kind of like take guesses maybe you don't care um but i don't know i think it's i think it's maybe more a matter of branding than it is actually being the case yeah i've heard from a lot of people that you know, they, they think of themselves as verse, but once someone finds out that they are willing to top, that's all they get cast as. That's all that, they, mm. that's all that they get in. That's all that they're called upon to do. And they mm. actually almost never get to bottom. Interesting. I have a weird relationship with this question. Uh, because as a, as a big chubby guy, I find a lot of chasers make the assumption that I'll be a bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of, as a, as a tall brown guy, a lot of chasers demand that I be a top, right? right? It's right. 
a very weird situation where I find like oh. the vast majority of people approach me have already decided what I am before mm-hmm. they, and they never mm-hmm. ask based they on never the, ask. based on how they perceive yeah. you on the masculine scale. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so this question made me actually think of an experience ready for some sexy time experience. Yes. Um, I, I went out on a date with this guy and I really enjoyed myself. He was a very handsome, he was a stand-up comic. So he had Ooh. like, a lot of wit to him. He was smart, really enjoyed it. And um, I'm not the guy who always invites you back to my place after the first conversation, after the first date, but I did. We went back to my place. We hadn't talked about sex very much yet, mm. um, but I, 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 this is not on him. I was escorting him to my bedroom. So there were certain assumptions he had and he was right. Uh, but then he literally like, just dropped his pants and jumped onto my mattress, butt up in the air and waited. <laughs> and I, I'm like, that's abrupt. That, yeah. That's abrupt. I, and I'm, I'm like, okay. All right. But, but that doesn't, that adds a weird pressure to the situation for me that I don't find sexy or well fun. To, and, to and extent- I, yeah. yeah, Don, I, I'm definitely to, to, to the extent that given that you said he was a stand up comedian, I wonder if he thought that was funny. Clearly, no, that was not a joke because it sounds kind of comical. It kind of does. But it wasn't in the moment. Got it. Yeah, got it, got it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those moments of like, if somebody's that bold about like, this is what's happening next probably what they're hoping for is like take it yeah like he he wanted you to just own that whole situation just you know i think that I, was his, I own that whole <laughs> yeah really like yeah go for it which you know but given that this is a first date situation is maybe i don't know should have come up in conversation to some degree first like that's that's a pretty big leap i would say most people don't do yeah. that i mean like kiss me before you offer me your sphincter you know like it's not- <laughs> like you <usually, laughs> one end or the other come on <laughs> that was uh the demo track for sixpence none the richer <laughs> kiss me no am i before you someone someone's laughing at that in their car <laughs> uh, i don't i also would like to point out i so my first thought is like A lot of the time, there's also just the, like, equipment, physical issue of, like, a super... I mean, I I do know super chubs who are tops, but, like, there's a lot. There's some... There's some mechanics and physics and... Yeah, there there are mechanical issues to chubby guys topping, and that's... That's sometimes their own body. That's sometimes the chaser's body. (laughs) The fat pen. Although I rarely hear of, I rarely hear, and maybe this is just, you know, because, you know, who, who one is is a filter for what one experiences, but yeah. I rarely hear super chubs complaining, like, like seriously complaining that they can't top. I use either they do top or they're not disappointed. It's in no, my but experience, I've, but my, I could be, have a very limited pool. Well, I think there's also then like the, um, I don't know, uh, whole psych, like if we, you want to get into the psychology of the human experience and sexuality and the whole, the, the way people are treated and how that impacts 
sexuality right. and sexual yeah, desire. True. That's and true. That's true. I mean, there's so many factors, but I, my first answer would be just like, I mean, I guess depending on this person's like, what kind of, you know, the, the scale of chub that they <laughs> desire. It's like, there's just a part, there's a point where it just, it doesn't, it, and it yes, doesn't work. And, and yet yeah. I have seen some huge guys top admirably. Yes. Um, I also, I mean, I know of a, I, I don't know if this is directly related to the fact that they were a top, but a chub who, chub slash super chub kind of threshold, who had a, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, the penanectomy. Oh. Um, basically, having the size get of, into yeah. a, a little body horror for uh, <laughs> Valentine's Day. Um, basically, kind of like their fat pad removed. Or substantially mm. reduced. Yeah, or reduced. Um, I think, I, I don't know if it was, I, I assume it was to just make that easier and make life easier because it's, mm-hmm. you know, a fat pad's a, a, it's a, there's a lot to get into. That could, we could have a whole fat pad. Episode. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. I, I was just saying that an easy solution to this uh, <laughs> that's not quite as radical as <laughs> surgery is uh, a, a position that a lot of people enjoy is having the super chub lie flat and having the chaser lower themselves onto him because then the belly tends to be uh, retracted. The fat mm-hmm. tends to be retracted. It tend, it's an easier position. I mean, this is all about Cowboy reposition. Yeah. That, is, yeah. that tends to be my position of default. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's the easiest one. I have a, just to go back to the actual question, why aren't more, why aren't more chubs tops? I wonder if part of it is, I mean, Trevor kind of mentioned like the psychological issues, uh, but to be a top is to, in, in a lot of ways to take control, like to, to be mm-hmm. the driver, to be in the driver's mm-hmm. seat. And you have to have a certain degree of confidence to do that. You have, yep. a, have to have a certain degree of decisiveness to do that. And you know, and you have to know how to drive for Christ's sake. And you have to know how to drive and you have <laughs> to know, you, you have to be out of your head enough to be able to enjoy it and like yeah. what's happening next. And mm-hmm. there's, I think there's a lot of, you know, pressure on, on doing that, uh, especially if you're not with a partner that you know very, very well, maybe it's a new hookup or a date. Um, and I, I suspect that, you know, it's in some ways it is just easier to say I'm a bottom because then you you kind of don't have to, you don't have to drive. You can kind of show up, say it's okay to do this and then let the top take control. And I think there's maybe in some ways it's the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. And maybe to wrap this up, I'm going to put out one last hypothetical here. And this is purely a hypothetical. I'm not sure about this, but I'm curious in my life. I may not, I may not share the, uh, the dominance in my life of say a business executive who are legendarily bottoms in sex because they have to be so dumb in their day-to-day life right (laughs) but i do and i am aware as a fat person i have to put up so much time and energy managing my relationships in my professional life in my outside professional life that is affected by my fatness Hmm. that i'm i'm putting so much energy into managing all of those interactions that when i finally have the chance to relax and have a sexual relaxing in relationship, I may not want to have to be in the driver's seat there too. You know, you know what that Um, reminds me of Don? It reminds me of the introvert who knows how to extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much Mm -hmm. the case. I feel, I feel as a fat person, I have to expend more energy in a standard day-to-day interaction with strangers or, you know, uh, workmates than Mm -hmm. a thin person does. I really do. 
Interesting. You know. Um, top chubs, let us know if you are wondering where all the bottom <laughs> chasers are. Can, uh, <laughs> arrange a little uh yeah. like camp mixer where all the top chubs are on one <laughs> side of the gym and all the bottom chasers are on the other side, and then they <laughs> And we play West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah, I was gonna say the West <laughs> Uh, that's funny well uh here we are at the end of part one of our sexy sultry valentine's day episode uh you're gonna have to watch out for part two oh yeah